Together we can mobilize a global mission force to finish the task. This is your tribe. Welcome to our uh, new program. This is called This is Your Tribe. And uh, we gather uh, mobilized around the world and all this um, um, beautiful minds and beautiful people that we have encountered with in the past years. Uh, and today our special guest is uh, the one and only Kiss Swatley, Mister, um, uh, who is in charge of this uh, wonderful program, uh, Encountering Water of Island, uh, and uh, we call it EWI in many different parts of the world. Actually, it's uh, raising, uh, help us to raise uh, awareness uh, to uh, to work. Uh, and, and understand uh, uh, Islam uh, as, as a culture, as, as a people. And also many uh, uh, initiatives have been taking place uh, in different parts of the world. Welcome, Kith. Thank you, glad to be here. And you are absolutely a, a, a mentor to many people in terms of uh, mobilization. And also uh, you have been involved with um, you know, a mission mobilization for many years. Uh, can you uh, just share a little bit about your journey? Uh, you have been uh, such a wonderful friend uh, through the years. I've been working with you uh, in uh, an EWI program and also a, a few other things as well. We, we met a few times in different uh, occasions, um, but I, I, I do know you are not just uh, somebody we meet and in a mission conference, hopefully not. <laughs> and, because that's the job of some people. It just uh, jump from one like, conference to conference. Yeah. Hey, you're here like again. I I know you. I know. I see you last time. <laughs> yeah, be that um, I've been a mobilizer since 1992. Um, uh, my history and mission goes back um, earlier than that. I had the the good fortune of being raised in a home of believers, where my parents had. Um, missionary friends that were in our home. Um, and so we had some global awareness and missions was normal. Actually, missions was fun because of the stories that I heard from my mission kid friends and from uh, mm -hmm. my adopted uncles and aunts who had these fascinating stories about uh, the Philippines and Vietnam and, and uh, uh, Nepal and uh, Cameroon and Ivory Cote d'Ivoire and other places where they were working. Mm. Um, and then I also had the good fortune of being in a church, which uh, had a strong missions focus each year mm. at a, a missions week-long missions conference, um, uh, great um, expositors of God's heart for the nations uh, from the Bible. Um, and uh, uh just even growing up, but then I, I rebelled spectacularly in high school, even ran away from home. Why am and I not surprised? <laughs> why are you not surprised? Yeah. I've always been a rebel and still am in some other ways, you know, that was out of my own personal pain of nobody loved me, even though there was a great deal of love around me. Um, and, in you know, coming back to my family, coming back to uh, my church and to Christ in the midst of that, a uh, uh, uh a guy named Rick discipled me and Rick led our church's first youth missions trip to East Africa in 82. And I was still too much of a reprobate to go in 82, but I went in 83 
following after Rick. And that's where I first encountered Muslims was in the city of Mombasa. And yeah. they were completely different than I thought they were going to be. They were, they welcomed me into their home. They, mm-hmm. they held me hostage, feeding me all sorts of wonderful food. Mm-hmm. And they were very interested, not just in me as a, as a white person or an American as a tourist, but also very interested in the gospel of Luke's that I was hanging uh, handing out because they um, had not received uh, scripture portions of the Injil, um, which they treasured. Um, but I was sort of bowled over by their by their questions. They're, they're, I was not prepared for their questions. No, um, not just about <clears throat> Christianity. Mm. Um, you know, all my preparation and mission was to tell somebody how to become a Christian, not to tell them why I am a Christian. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but then they also were very intelligent, much more intelligent than I was at that point in terms of asking me about, um, international monetary fund policy of how it oppresses poor people and other stuff like that. So I came back from that mission trip, um, and in my engineering program, took all my electives in Arab and Islamic and African studies to learn more about, uh, the world that I hadn't really been exposed to. Most of my history up to that point had been Mm -hmm. uh, European history, um, not global history. And then uh, one of the other guys that um, I connected with was, is now the general director of uh, the Frontier Ventures, Fran Pat. Um, And I helped him coordinate perspectives and took perspectives. And that was a further formation in my mobilization direction. But I thought, I was headed to the Muslim world as a church planter with Frontiers or another great group like that. Mm-hmm. Um, finished my engineering degree uh, and uh, the advice that we were getting being mentored because I got married right after I graduated was to take when some was time. That? Huh? When was that though? 87 is when I got married and graduated. Yeah. Um, the advice so you are you're at your late 20s or you're how old are you then? no i was maybe 23 okay yeah well you have been experienced a lot this you know and you're you know i i thought you know with all that experience you were already like 30 something but you're <laughs> 23. No, oh i was just 23 <laughs> closer to 60 than 30 so um a lot closer to 60 um the uh the advice we were getting from our sending church mm-hmm. um, was to take a couple of years and mature, continue to serve in the church, um, even live overseas, get some experience living overseas using our my wife's skill in teaching English and my skill in engineering. And, um, you know, through that, uh, you know, God took us to, to, to live two years in South Korea. And in South Korea, it was, Mm -hmm. um, we did started doing some mobilization of uh, Korean churches, um, taught uh, some of the material that we'd learned in perspectives and in my, um, in the church that I grew up in terms of God's heart for the world and stuff like that. Um, uh, But also we got to experience what it's like to be an alien and a stranger trying to access Christianity. Yeah, go go for the extreme. (laughs) Our, we had we went to a wonderful Korean church that had a English language parish as a part of it. The first Sunday we showed up, they had a sign in the lobby that said "aliens" and pointed to the balcony, where they had simultaneous translation. Um, but it's just you know it's it, they did not intend that to they intended that to be welcoming, 
And I think that I still, whenever I visit a church, I just see that perspective of what is it like to come here as somebody who doesn't know the routines and how um, hard it is to access the core of what Christianity is really about mm. in all that goes on at church, uh, whether it's in my culture or in other people's culture. Yeah, I think that's part of what um, I bring to mobilization as well is... Um, is is some of that problem solving from my engineering background as well as some of that having seen mm, um, you're a fixer <laughs> i am a fixer but i'm also i'm a local church guy i think one of the things that i'm really uh, excited about and we can talk more on about as we go through this interview is helping local churches mm. gain their footing in global mission because the, the local church is not going to be healthy. It's not healthy in, in most of the places we go to church. Um, and we need to help them, not just uh, get irritated and get mobilized and go on. Uh, uh, and whether it was that church in Korea or the church that I grew up in or the churches that we've been a part of since, really taking a good amount of our time and serving that church and helping that church be successful, not just in global mission, but in uh, discipleship, um, mm -hmm. in um, understanding um, Christ as Lord and all that means, um, mm -hmm. that that's, uh, that our authority, uh, that we got, that we do our ministry under the authority of the local church, that's a very important part of what it means to, uh, to be in ministry and to mobilize to me that came from some of those experiences that I talked about. And then when we came back from Korea, that's when we were really evaluating was now our time to go to the field. And that's when um, I ended up working with Fran Pat at the Eastern Regional Office of the U.S. Center for World Mission for 10 years um, in, out, outside of Philadelphia. And we'd helped churches with their mission strategy. We'd run perspectives. We'd help people do quality short terms that were focused on the unreach. Yeah, there you go. Um, and actually, Fran and another guy named Craig Simonian had had this idea to do a sister course to perspectives that focused on understanding Muslims, understanding their history and their culture, understanding how to reach them um, as they're still the largest block of um, unreached peoples and unengaged peoples. Um, and uh, I was helping them with that project. And then it became more and more my project as Craig went on to other things. And um, friend says, I'm the boss, I tell you what to do. And um, it's become my sole focus that we can talk a little bit more about that journey and the rest of it. But that's how I got started as a mobilizer. And then 9-11, um, um, uh, doing encountering the word of Islam before 9-11, um, Muslims weren't as much on people's agenda, mm. uh, certainly not on, on North Americans' agenda. But uh, that messy side job became the need for my sole focus um, after 9-11. And that's what moved us to Colorado, where we live, uh, mm -hmm. to be with a mobilization group that at the time was larger and more national and international in scope. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that uh, organization was then um, called Caleb Project, was taken over by Pioneers oh, yeah. a few years ago. And I've been with Pioneers since 2007. Um, and I lead a team of people with pioneers that work on EWI, but then I also, we have global compatriots, including um, 
your brother in Taiwan and others that uh, run uh, EWI in 40 countries and six languages. Um, and again, I would say that where I've positioned Encountering the World of Islam to be is not missionary print training, pre-field training, no. though it gets used for that, um, but it's to, to come alongside the local church and help them discover God's heart for Muslims mm -hmm. and the opportunities that they have both locally and globally um, in the same kind of transformational, experiential, educational experience that many of us have seen in mm -hmm. courses like Perspectives on the World Christian Movement or Kairos. So how do, how do you see EWI fit into the big picture of mobilization efforts? We know there's uh, like um, level one, level two, level three, and uh, sometimes people are uh, saying, you know, you need to start from um, discovering and, 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 and develop and, uh, and also the 3D is um, uh, deploy, right? So right. Where, where, where did you see this uh, uh, program is taking place it's like a follow-up for the level one course like kairos and perspective or it should separate it to like this is also level one because everybody should know something about islam um where do you see that fitting yeah i, I really like the 3d model in terms of develop um excuse me uh discover develop and deploy and i think that there is mobilization that happens across that and there's tools that um, help with that at different points and places. I would say that encountering the word of Islam is both a discovery tool and a develop tool. Um, mm -hmm. What I mean by that is um, not everybody who takes CWI has already discovered God's heart for the nations. Um, a percentage of people in every environment that we have uh, encountering the word of Islam have not yet discovered the joy of connecting with God's heart for all the nations, but they want to stop Muslims or they want to counter Muslims, or they want to know how to not be afraid of Muslims. It's, it's a, it's a not yet discovered God's heart of joy and sharing Christ. Um, and now want to extend that to how do I develop that for Muslims? And so we get people who need to discover that. And, and when they, go through encountering the word of Islam, they say, wow, this is totally different than I expected. Where can I learn more? And we send them not backwards, but we send them on to develop further through Cairo's perspectives, uh, okay. um, uh, Center for Mission Mobilizations, Product Explore, um, other things like that. Um, so we do some uh, discovery in encountering the word of Islam. I would say maybe as much as a third of the people who go through EWI are really at that discovery level. And mm -hmm. then maybe two thirds are people out of a discovery tool like um, Explore or Kairos or Perspectives or um, uh, uh, Jeff Lewis's study, God's Heart for the Nations, who then say, I've, now I've discovered not just God's heart for the world, but the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the large needs of the Muslim. Yeah. Um, how do I learn more about that? How do I prepare more about that? And that's where EWI becomes more of a develop tool. That's mm -hmm. why a lot of mission agencies um, tell their mission candidates that before they go to the field, they need to take something like EWI. There's other courses like EWI, that, but ours is 
in other languages, it can show up in their community. They can take it as an online distance learning course. They can do it with a small group cohort. And so it's more of a come to them where they're at and help them develop and discover together rather than go to a, a training school um, solely for uh, your pre-field development. Um, that's yeah. a little bit of what PWI fits as a, in terms of our niche. What kind of, uh, you know, criticism or, or you know, the, the, the words out there saying, uh, this is, this is ah, or uh, the, what, what did you hear the most? About EWI or about? Uh, e EWI, or people just say, this is wonderful. Did you hear? Oh, yeah, everyone's like, everyone you says are, like for example, for example, like uh, anyone like judge you just because you haven't been right. spending like 10, 20 years in the Muslim world, but you're writing yeah. the world of Islam, you know? Right. So. Let me, let me say it this way, you know, 86% of Muslims, according to Todd Johnson and others at the, at, at Gordon Conwell at the Center for Global Christianities, uh, say that 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't personally know a Christian. Yeah. So we have a, we have a whole church. It's 81% now. Last time I've known. Well, I heard. Okay. Well, I'll have to double check you and then change that. Uh, that's good if it's gone down 5%. Yeah. Uh, if more than 80% of Muslims don't personally know a Christian, what I really want to encourage is, is anyone doing anything, even if it's not my preferred way mm -hmm. of reaching out to Muslims is better than nothing. And so I really don't want to criticize people that, that see things differently than I do, um, see than our experience in EWI. But some of the people who have um, critiqued EWI have maybe not understood our, our educational model completely. Mm. Um, and that we're, you know, people are starting from uh, maybe not even an awareness of God's heart for Muslims, mm -hmm. um, that most of what they know about Islam or Muslims to that point is uh, not just negative, but prejudicial um, and, uh, and in some places racial. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if you present a balanced approach to Islam, all the pros and cons, that tends to reinforce, in our educational experience, that tends to reinforce people's preconceived notions mm -hmm. and they don't come to a more balanced place. So since we're focused on the outcome, the outcome is that they'd be balanced. The mm -hmm. inputs need to reflect what's necessary to bring them to a place of balance. And so uh, when we present material about Muhammad, for example, we say, have you considered how Muslims view Muhammad? That's new to them, and they haven't considered that. They have this, these impressions of Muhammad that come from what they have learned, which may be uh, pretty negative. And so by bringing alongside how Muslims view Muhammad, um, they come out in our testing, in our assessment, to a more um, mm. fully orbed um, understanding of the founder of Islam and the beginnings of Islam. That's just a small example of... So uh, direct experience, taking them, having a Muslim come into the class and explain Islam rather than having a Christian explain Islam. Um, some people don't think we should do that, but I think you're going to meet people who are grade A Muslims who are trying to convert you. 
why not do that in the experience in the class where we have an opportunity to debrief and pray and mm. and ask questions and stuff like that we take people to to visit a muslim um school a muslim community a muslim uh, uh place of worship um some people um uh don't agree with entering um those places um i yeah, and you're getting to the stronghold of spirituality. Yeah, yeah. So we need to, you know, uh, and uh, we've always had very good experiences, been welcomed. Um, uh, we certainly pray and, and cover ourselves with uh, the full armor of God before we go. Um, uh, you know, some people have uh, really are gifted and really called to um, a ministry of apologetics or even polemics. Um, that's not going to be the focus of most. And so we don't emphasize that as much as some would like to. And I think that one of the concerns that uh, we have about polemics is it can maintain our feeling of, uh, of superiority. And mm -hmm. it can require somebody who's very knowledgeable and done a lot of study. Whereas I want to mobilize average Christians to engage yeah. uh, with, with Muslims. Um, and again, that's probably a piece of the develop rather than the discovery. I think there are, um, a number of different ways in which people gain awareness or yeah. discover the Muslim world. Um, we even have a, 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 a Bible study called God's heart for Muslims. That's more like 60 pages mm -hmm. and can be used kind of like at that level of explore or God's heart for the nations of Jeff Lewis. Oh, you do. Um, yeah. And, um, but where, one of the things that happens in the develop phase of mobilization is people shift their values. It's mm -hmm. one thing to be aware of God's heart for the world, but making decisions with regards to um, what kind of suffering you're going to put your kids through, mm -hmm. uh, 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 where you're going to live in the world, how you're going to honor your parents and yet disappoint them in terms of where you're going in your life. Mm -hmm. Those are big shifts. Mm -hmm. And those don't happen in something that's a weekend seminar. Um, those things happen when we, I'd, I'd call them the elements of reformation and revival. And mm -hmm. I think it's part of what really happens in a high quality short term or in perspectives or Kairos or WI is you gather together with other believers and you're studying the Bible and you have expert witness and historical uh, mentors um, and you're praying together um, and you're experiencing things together. And it's not, you know, over a short period of time where you get sort of the the aha moments, but not the integration into who you are. Mm. Um, and I think when, when we do development mobilization well, we're really helping people wrestle with those deeper shifts in their values. Mm. We can have um, a very rapid change in our theoretical beliefs. Theoretically, I believe I should be a good steward of my finances and give sacrificially. But to push that down to a practical level where it's really happening in my life because I've had got debts that I got to pay off and I've got to learn how to spend my finances differently, that's a discipleship process. Yeah. And that's not going to happen in an awareness event. Yeah. It, and it, so I think I'd be, I'm a big advocate of us not uh, 
not taking all of our development tools and turning them into pamphlets um, and seeing that that's in and of itself going to do a more massive job in mobilization. I think that helps with the discovery. And we do have a lot more people who need to discover God's heart for the nations. Um, but then in terms of developing them, helping them really shift to the point, you see, mission agencies expect a lot of that discipleship to be done before you begin to deploy with them. Mm. And so there's this gap between discovery and awareness and being ready to deploy. And I think that's the niche that I want EWI to be in. That's the niche that Perspectives was for me mm. is um, the, the greater life change decisions in terms of who, what did I want in a spouse came out of the discipleship that was going on rather than out of the short, quick. Yeah, the, the more I, I got involved with mobilization uh, and different materials and different tools, I just realized from there, there are different degrees of, of, you know, transformation in terms of, you know, getting to know God's heart and, and his, uh, his will through his words. And um, so there is, there's a, there is a stage of, you know, getting to know more uh, and, and like knowing and probably uh, involves on doing uh, practical things, uh, short-term missions and stuff. But it's really hard to really get to the point that it's your being. You know, it's it's something who you are, and it's not just something you do or you know just have a mission conference. Uh, you know, uh, once a year out of fifty-two weeks, uh, and and it's it's more than just a church activity. It's 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 much more. It's much deeper. Okay, it, you know, since since you're uh, you're here and you have been involved with, um, especially the so-called Western way of <laughs> mission mobilization. Oh, well, there there are there are a lot of triumphs and, and and great stories, and we all know we we all learn all these different things, especially from the perspectives you you. Uh, when you study lesson uh, lesson eight, uh, lesson nine, and you're talking about all this, uh, the the process, you know how mobilization is coming to a th become a thing, um, and also because of the great, um, you know, late rough winter, um, but also nowadays more and more, especially from the the, the cry of the majority world, we are. Uh, we're hearing a lot of um, uh, uh, not maybe not complaints, but also inputs and saying, you know, we should have our own perspective. Uh, the the way we we are in, we we're gonna be involved with missions and with a global body uh, instead of just a Western perspective. What do you see um, uh, at being? Uh, doing uh, we, we can we can adjust a little bit or what have been doing great and maybe there are things we can uh, you know uh, review it and 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 probably have a maybe not a revolutionary way of doing things but you know uh, but, but more a collective thinking or approach uh, from the different parties mm -hmm. I, no, I, I, answer, but a big big question but you know i am yeah. really keen to hear from you though I hope that we can do that together as global mobilizers um, rather than do that 
for our own niches. Um, I think that um, North Americans and uh, Westerners in general still need to learn from African, Asian, uh, Latin voices. And um, we're not going to learn if you guys just do your own curriculum. But that means that we need to give you guys access to influence our curriculum and mobilization. Um, uh, I don't think we do that perfectly in encountering the word of Islam. Um, I think our, our course is still has uh, a need for contextualization to the environments in Africa, Asia, the Latin world where they um, use our curriculum. Um, but we do give them permission to adapt and to uh, um, add um, and to do it differently in those contexts. Um, I can't speak for other people's mobilization tools, but for, for ours, we welcome them. Um, but, you're, but you're right. Um, there, you know, as soon as you start talking about the local church, and I do wanna say some more things about the local church, I think we have to say, are you talking about North American local churches? Or are you talking about uh, local just, churches in China? Because they're very different. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but uh, what what do, what do you see uh, from uh, you know when when we're doing mobilization uh, in in the past, we we're talking about recruiting people and and that people catching the uh, a vision and will be involved with your ministry. And then, so so there is, ONF will be talking about China, Wycliffe will be talking about Bible translation, OM will be talking about the ship. And and so so when EWI comes in and we say, oh, you guys are the, uh, you know, the Muslim people, right? You're, you're talking about that specifically. But right. how do you see that as, you know, as mobilizers, we can actually work together and, and also, you know, collaborate, uh, Collectively, we can actually, you know, bring the attention and focus back to the core, which is God's heart, uh, instead of one, one specific agenda we want to bring to the table. Yeah, I, I, I thank you for asking me this question. It's very, a question I'm very passionate about and one of the reasons why I really love the GMC and will always be a part of it and trying to contribute to it. Um, Mobilization um, has uh, traditionally had three domains to it. Um, there has been the agency focus on sending, recruiting and sending. And mm -hmm. that's, that's often called the mobilization department, not just yeah. the recruiting department, right? Um, and we do need to deploy more workers to the unreached. Um, and one of the things that we've done really well as a mobilization movement is focus uh, mission agencies, create new agencies, um, uh, redeploy agencies to focus more on um, the 1040 window, Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims uh, um, uh, see that we've done a good job of reaching um, some of the other areas in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and now we need to join them in the sending force. Um, but I think we can, one of the mistakes in mobilization is, that, is we've had too much of a focus on the sending domain in mobilization and not enough focus on the two other 
traditional domains. Uh, one of them uh, is students. You know, whether it's the student volunteer movement or um, uh, Urbana or or any of the, the the raw material for the next generation is going to be uh, not just college students, but I would say um, students in middle school and high school as well. And I think that uh, that's messy. And I think that some of the campus ministry groups have retained that focus, um, but to try to retain that focus in addition to their focus on evangelism, because so many in middle school, high school, and college are not being adequately evangelized in their um, the communities that they're growing up. Um, it, it's hard for the big campus ministries to have the strong unreached peoples, God's heart for the nation's focus, and the other focus it's hard for them to have too, which is a focus on honoring and building those students to the local church. And so we sort of have this, this real hard problem of mm. students are being encouraged to jump the church and go straight descending when we're mobilizing them. And the local church is not the engine of growth and sending, uh, but then we wanna to turn to the local church to support and care uh, for these people. And so I think mobilizing pastors um, of local churches needs much greater creativity and emphasis. Our mobilization tools need to come alongside the local church and help the local church not just be successful in mission, but successful in evangelism, successful in discipleship. If, if we as mobilizers are giving lip service to the church, just attending, maybe giving a little, Mm. Um, but we're not really engaging and helping to lead in the local church. I think we're we're really missing the boat and have no right to complain about the anemia that we see in the local church. Mm. Um, and uh, that the local church can be distracted by a wealth and prosperity or kind of an easy gospel. You know, the gospel shows up in my life to make things comfortable. That's a big problem when we then send people to hard places, <laughs> you know, because they, they haven't been prepared for a life of persecution. They haven't been prepared for a life of hardship. They don't see that as the joy set before them. Um, they're not willing to subject their kids to that. Um, but I think this goes back to the, the missing strategy of really what does it mean to mobilize the local church? And what I mean by the local church is the church that you go to as a mobilizer, the mm. church that, or denomination that you grew up in. Um, uh, when we talk about the church as a whole, then we start lumping in the, the parachurch ministries, the student ministries, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the sending agencies, the global partners that we work with. You know, I, I would ask all mobilizers to sort of examine their attitude towards the, their local church? Do they see their local church as an expedient to fund them? Do they see their local church as a, um, a place to raise their kids? You know, what, are, what are they hoping to, looking to the local church for? Mm -hmm. But then if the local church is the body of Christ in which we identify with in our baptism, um, identify with in communion, um, if they are the authority under which we serve. I think we, we, we need to recognize 
that a lot more, just like you said, the inclusion of the non-Western world in creation and adapting our tools to fit global needs, I think we need to, um, we have not yet decoded how to come alongside a local church and not as mobilizers and not have the local church perceive us as a threat that's yeah. going to steal their best people and change their focus and not help them with the things that they're struggling. Yeah. But from my experience, I think it's, this is um, it's not an easy task, especially sure. the detention that been there for years, um, you know, because when, when it comes to resources or, you know, it, it's always and prioritized, you know, which is more important um, and, you know, especially in, in the direction of, of, of a church uh, like sometimes uh, and often there, there, there's, there's, there's tension in between these. So it's following this, uh, one last question for you. So can we still be optimistic, um, especially about um, the sincere collaboration between the efforts of different entities, uh, different parties, like the church, individuals, agencies, um, you know, uh, we uh, we often say, you know, this is something we need to do. But in reality, uh, do you think we can still be optimistic? Yeah, I think my optimism comes from from two different places. Um, well, there are probably more than two different places. Certainly, it comes from the Word of God in terms of seeing not just what's on God's heart, but what He's promised and what we see He will fulfill. Um, it's, it's whether or not my generation will be a part of that or whether I will see that in my lifetime. Those are, are certainly open questions. Um, I, I think we've seen a lot of progress too. Um, more people are focusing on the Muslim world, for example, um, 10 times more than when I began mm. in mobilization. Um, uh, uh, Full-time workers among Muslims are still rare. We need more. Um, but it's not as dire as it has been in the past. Um, and more Muslims are coming to Christ. And that's not just because of more workers. That's also because of more prayer uh, focused on the Muslim world. Um, and so I think there are reasons from uh, the Bible, reasons from what we see happening to be optimistic. But the other area where I'm optimistic um, is maybe a little bit more counterintuitive. I see a lot of threats to mobilization, threats to the health of the church, um, uh, things that are tearing us away from the gospel. And I think that when one of the things that particularly North Americans have suffered from is our affluence and our comfort. And when those things get torn uh, we, we go, we may lose some chaff, but we're going to have a winnowing of what's really important to us. And I think that's when the church revives. Uh, the church doesn't revive out of revival. The church revives out of degradation and dissipation and difficulty. Um, and so uh, rising persecution, um, rising intolerance towards the exclusiveness of the gospel. Um, I uh, I think these are our threats um, that we're going to have to face. And um, 
uh, it could be in other parts of the world, it could be authoritarian regimes. In other parts of the world, it could be uh, disease and grinding poverty. These threats are not obstacles to our mobilization or to our mission. They are the prerequisites to our mobilization and our mission. That's 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 a very interesting perspective. I think, uh, especially under uh, such uh, you know under pandemic in such a time as this, uh, we 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 definitely need to learn something from 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 the you know from from the last two years. I mean, or else it's all all this trouble and um, not able to be traveling, lockdowns and and you know all this turmoil within the structure of the church will be an event. We, we definitely need to learn something out of this, especially as mobilizers. Yeah. Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, uh, appreciate your time. Uh, we are uh, talking uh, for this program called This is Your Tribe. And this, this is definitely a mobilizers community, uh, you know, dialogue uh, between not just between us. And, and I believe there will be uh, a lot of people benefit from, from our conversation. Uh, thank you very much and God bless you and enjoy the, the rest of your week. Mm -hmm.